Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Tonight uh, to the book of Acts chapter 13. And this will be our final uh, term on the book of Acts. We've been on it for several terms now. And uh, we just have nine sessions in this term because of our uh, Intermin Ministers Conference where we miss a night. So we'll have that nine sessions and uh, finish our, our series together. All right, Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through to uh, 4. Acts 13, verses 1 through to 4. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. May the Lord bless that portion of his word. Now we want to pick up some of the uh, loose ends that uh, we've had from our previous sessions as we uh, look at chapter 13, particularly these first few verses. Now We'll notice that uh, so far, as we've said in previous sessions, the Church of Jerusalem has been the main centre of activities and uh, in the recent chapters, in chapter 11 and chapter 13 here, we see that the Church uh, of Antioch is coming into prominence. Now, what you'll find here is that in the New Testament there were actually four uh, major churches, we might say, you can see this uh, map here, uh, four major churches in the book of Acts that the Lord seemed to put his hand upon particularly and out from those four major churches uh, other churches were established. Uh, the first church of course that we've been looking at together is the church of Jerusalem over here, church of Jerusalem and the gospel was to begin at Jerusalem, begin at Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. And then the gospel goes from Jerusalem and the persecution uh, down through to Antioch of Syria. There are two Antiochs, Antioch in Pisidia and Antioch of Syria here. So now Acts chapter 13 onwards, as we're going to see, Antioch becomes the great center uh, for the gospel. And then on the missionary journeys, we'll find in due time that Ephesus became a great church and then uh, in due time Thessalonica, so Macedonia and from Thessalonica the word of God sounded out through to Philippi, Berea and all this area, Corinth, uh, down to Crete even, Achaia and all that region from Ephesus. We have the churches that mention the book of Revelation like uh, uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, and Smyrna and so forth, the seven churches of Asia, and then going on where the Holy Spirit forbade them to go to Bithynia. Uh, then we had the churches in Galatia. But uh, the four major churches were Jerusalem, then Antioch, and then uh, Thessalonica in this order, and then later on Ephesus. 
So uh, four major churches who became great missionary churches and the gospel went out from those particular churches to the various regions. Now, you may not be able to uh, uh, read everything that's on this, uh, this chart here, but I'd like to sort of remind you of what we've covered so far. So uh, in the uh, chart we have here, the church grows at home and the Acts part 1, chapters 1 through to 12. And in Acts chapters 1 through to 12, we see the fulfillment of what the Lord said in uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. So Acts chapter 1 through to 12 has covered those areas, Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria. Now Acts chapter 13, um, I got it on this side. Yes, Acts chapter 13 uh, through to 28, the church goes abroad. He shall be witnesses unto me unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that's where we'll be moving. But let's just remind ourselves of what we've covered so far. So witnessing Jerusalem chapters 1 through to 7. The major events we've seen here are the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter's Pentecostal sermon, laying down principles uh, of church life class for membership, uh, the, the healing of the lame man, persecution against the apostles, uh, we have the divine judgment, the death of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and the second arrest of the apostles and the uh, choice of the first deacons in, in the chapters here and then Stephen's uh, defense and Stephen's death. They're the major events, the major persons involved of course here are Jesus and the disciples, 120 in the upper room for the day of Pentecost, Peter of course and Peter and John in relation to the healing of the lame man, uh, the Sadducees particularly involved in the persecution, and then Peter involved in the uh, pronouncement of a judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, and then uh, Annas and Gamaliel at the council there, and then deacons, uh, two major deacons we saw, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, Acts chapter 8, Philip the Evangelist, and then uh, Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin, and then of course uh, Stephen's clothes were laid at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. The places, of course, where these things took place, Mount of Olives, as Jesus ascends the upper room for the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem, uh, the Peter's sermon here, the temple where the lame man was here, the city of Jerusalem, persecution here, same with here and Peter, and then uh, the temple prison, then Jerusalem. Everything centers around Jerusalem and the temple, and then, of course, Stephen is stoned outside the city. So, witnessing in Jerusalem, Acts, chap uh, Acts chapters 1 through to 7. Then when we come to Acts chapter 12, 8 through to 12, we have witnessing in Judea and Samaria. We have the Samaritan revival under Philip and the Ethiopian converted under Philip's ministry, all in relation to Samaria. Then we have the conversion of Saul. So you see how the head of the church is just organizing uh, things, as he said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and he's doing it. Then we have uh, miracles here. Uh, under Peter's ministry down in Lydia and jo uh, Joppa, Peter's vision, and the Gentile out outpouring of the Holy Spirit here on the Jews, here on the Gentiles. Uh, this is in the house of Simon the Tanner, uh, Cornelius and the company at uh, Joppa and Caesarea. Then uh, Acts chapter 13, we're coming now to the first Gentile church, Barnabas and Saul, who were the key figures here at Antioch. And then Acts chapter 12, as we saw in our last session, uh, Peter's deliverance and Herod's death, Herod Agrippa I at Jerusalem and then uh, Caesarea. So Acts chapter 1 through to 12 gives you the ho whole idea and the key figure there, of course, is the Apostle Peter. 
Now what we're looking at tonight onwards through our last nine sessions here is uh, the church grows at home and now the church goes abroad. So we'll be looking later on, we're just going to do the first few verses of Acts 13 tonight, but part two, Acts 13 through to 28 and witnessing to the uttermost part of the earth. And so now the rest of the, the book of Acts basically deals with Paul's three missionary journeys. The first missionary journey out from Antioch here, second missionary journey out from Antioch, third missionary journey out from Antioch, and uh, through here we had the Macedonian call, the church at Thessalonica, and then over here the church at Ephesus, and the other churches are founded out from that. So that's what basically the book of Acts deals with, the, uh, the rest of the book of Acts deals with the three uh, missionary journeys. So if we can sort of keep that in our mind, Jerusalem, now the uh, whole movement of the head of the church is moving from Jerusalem uh, down to Antioch. And remember the word of the Lord that came to us uh, or came to myself in, uh, in San Antonio, and I have it here, those of you who have received the copy of the vision booklet, uh, the word that the Lord gave me in uh, 1989, October the 14th in San Antonio, Texas, USA, uh, was this, that Waverly Christian Fellowship is to maintain the foundation principles laid down in the Church of Jerusalem, but not to allow the spirit and attitude that crept into the Church of Jerusalem to get into Waverly Christian Fellowship. Waverly Christian Fellowship is to be like the church at Antioch. How many remember uh, that word, hands up? All right, those of you who do come into committed membership will be getting a copy of that. So just to remind ourselves of this. So the principles that were laid down in the Church of Jerusalem, they went to Antioch, they went to Ephesus, went to Thessalonica, but that spirit that got into the Church of Jerusalem, that's the thing we've got to watch against. Pride and arrogance and uh, independence and sectarianism and all those things. But Antioch becomes the great missionary uh, church here. All right, so now we move from Peter, and as we said uh, in our previous session, the last mention of Peter we have, apart from the uh, Jerusalem Council, the last mention of Peter is in Acts chapter 12, where we're told he went to another place. They don't say where it was, uh, because Peter had been miraculously rescued out of prison. All right, now I want to pick up just a few thoughts in Acts 13 and verse 1 here. In verse 1 it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, so we have a church at Antioch, as certain prophets and teachers. Now, as we've been developing uh, through our, our series together on Acts, you'll notice that the head of the church has been um, sort of uh, unfolding or, uh, or letting the fullness. So I'll just say this statement again. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and in him is all fullness. Why don't you just turn over to, to a, a verse in the Gospel of John, just in connection with this thought. John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, let's pick up in verse 14 and verse 16 and 17, just to remind you of, uh, uh, of something we mentioned in a previous uh, session. So John chapter 1 and verse 14 and then down to verse 16. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt, or literally tabernacle, or pitched his tent among us, and we beheld his glory, just like the glory of God in the tabernacle of Moses. Uh, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was full of grace and truth. Uh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in him. Then in verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received 
and grace for grace. So he's full of grace and truth and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Uh, for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ so full of grace and truth of his fullness have we all received grace for grace the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ let me remind you of something I think we mentioned on on, uh, one other session Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church Uh, all the fullness is in him he's the fullness of the Godhead the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in the Lord Jesus Christ everybody can say amen to that so uh, he is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, the elder, the deacon, the exhorter, the uh, ministry of helps, the mercy shower, uh, all the gifts, all the graces, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. Now, the head, there's only one head, Christ is the head. But now in building the church, the church is the many-membered body. So what does he do? He wants to take that fullness, uh, I think we... Um, use the illustration uh, uh, one other time too, like from Zechariah, here's the golden bowl and the golden bowl is uh, full full of the golden oil while the golden bowl is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of the operations of the Spirit, everything is in the golden oil is in the golden bowl. Now the church, the lampstand Uh, The church here is likened to the lampstand, the golden candlestick or the golden lampstand here. I'll put that GLS, uh, golden lampstand. But uh, how is the divine oil to come from the golden bowl into the golden lampstand? Well, what we find in that vision was that there were seven pipes that came out of the, the golden bowl into the seven lamps here. So in other words, the fullness of the divine oil that was in the golden bowl now flows through the golden pipes down into the golden lamp so that the lampstand can shine bright because light is just the manifestation of burning oil. So all the fullness is in him. So using this illustration, the fullness of the oil was to flow down through the golden pipes. Uh, Christ the head in heaven, the church, the golden candlestick, the lampstand in earth, Uh, But the only connection between the church and earth and the head in heaven is the golden pipes. How many know we have to keep our pipes clean so that the oil of the Holy Spirit will continually flow? That's the picture that we have uh, in Zechariah. Well, just saying the same thing another way. In In the head, the Lord Jesus Christ is all the gifts of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit, all the character of God, are all the ministries, everything's in Him. Well, now what does He do? He wants to allow that fullness that's in him to flow down into the many-membered body. And just to remind you what verse 16 doesn't say, it doesn't say, and his fullness have we all received. None of us have the fullness. I haven't got the fullness. But of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. So every grace that's in him is to be manifested in the church, the grace of God in our lives. So fullness of grace, fullness of truth, fullness of ministries. So he, he takes, uh, takes part of his fullness and he, puts, he breaks that fullness up, as it were, into the many-membered body. And that's why we need the body. We need one another. No one ministry has it. And uh, God, God has never allowed that to be. And this has been the danger of so many ministries that fall when they feel they've got it all and they're, you know, they're little Jesus Christ running around. Uh, we're not. 
I haven't got a vibe, I've just got my measure of gift, but the fullness is in the body. How many are glad for that? And that we need each other. Now, what's been happening as we've gone through the book of Acts is this, that the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he starts off uh, with the foundation 12 apostles. Foundation 12 apostles. In fact, let's go over to uh, Ephesians now. So none of us receive the fullness, but we receive of his fullness. And the fullness is not in any one member. The fullness is in the many-membered body of Christ. The fullness is in the body, but not in any one member of the body. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse... Uh, Verse 7, let's pick it up here, verse 7. And once you notice the use of words now, remember we've been looking at John of his fullness, grace for grace, and he's full of grace and truth. Now, verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But unto every one of us is given grace, that is that word grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I've circled those three words in my Bible. Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So, measure of gift, measure of grace. We receive uh, the measure of grace according to the measure of gift. If a, a person's called to be an evangelist, that's the measure of gift they're being given, but they need a certain measure of grace to go with that gift. That's, that's an, of his grace. We receive grace for grace. So, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So, grace, measure, gifts. Now, he gave gifts unto men when? When he ascended up on high. Now, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts or lower down divisions of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave, so... When he ascended up on high, he gave gifts to men. What were the gifts he gave? He gave some gift of apostleship. And he gave some the gift of prophets. And he gave some the gift of evangelists. And he gave some to be shepherds, or translated past here, but the Greek word poimen there, shepherds. And he gave some teachers, and then we have the purpose of it, for, 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 for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness. Now you'll come compare verse 7 with verse 13. Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift. So grace, measure, gift. But these gifts that is given, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, uh, to bring the saints to a perfect man, mature man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So, so we receive in part, and we work from part to whole, uh, till the Lord brings us to the fullness and to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, unto the measure of a perfect man. And uh, we haven't reached perfection yet. So this is what I see the head of the church doing. Uh, in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 1, pardon me, we have the twelve apostles, the foundation of the church. Now they were chosen before the ascension. So before his ascension, 
We'll connect these thoughts up in due time here before the ascension. But now after his ascension, when he ascended up on high, after his ascension, we see some different giftings coming in here. So when he ascended up on high, so we refer to this as, uh, we've used that uh, cliche before, post-ascension gift ministries. In Acts chapter 6, Acts 6, we have the, uh, the deacons, what we believe are deacons. And then in Acts chapter 8, we have uh, Philip the Evangelist. So what's the Lord doing, the head of the church doing? He's, he's taking up his fullness, breaking up his fullness and letting it flow down into the members of the body. So we have Acts 8, Evangelist. And then in Acts chapter 11, we see now, Acts chapter 11, elders. They ordained elders in every church. But now we come to Acts 13, and what we're introduced to here now is there were certain prophets and teachers. So when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles now. Out of these prophets and the teachers here, we find we have uh, Barnabas and Saul, who when they are sent forth from the church, are now referred to as apostles post-ascension apostles. So many churches, many denominations believe there are no apostles today, no prophets today, uh, that there are only ever 12 apostles. Well, when you go through the New Testament, you'll find that there are about, um, I think about 27 or 31 apostles altogether. So there were more apostles than the 12 apostles, but we refer to these as the foundation apostles and these as post-ascension gift apostles. So deacons, evangelists, elders, prophets and teachers. Now I want to say a few things about uh, prophets, not too much because uh, always watching our time here. Uh, with what is happening in the church today, uh, you see as we, as we look over church history we see how these ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers sort of faded out and the priesthood of all believers faded out of existence as uh, the uh, Roman church usurped the priesthood of all believers in the dark ages. Well, the Lord said what the church has lost, uh, he's going to restore. So in the restoration period, it's been uh, quite an interesting thing, and I wouldn't, wouldn't want you to lock me in on this too much, but from the Reformation period onwards, you see a restoration of certain ministries have been distinctly a restoration on pastoral ministry, pastor, 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 and we have a whole pastoral system, and then evangelists, of course. Uh, teachers have been very dry and boring, uh, but uh, it's amazing the, uh, the teaching seminars and conferences that the church went into. And then it's just in the last number of years there's a particular emphasis on prophets and apostles being restored to the church. And as someone has said, the first ministry to be lost is the last ministry to be restored. So apostles and prophets. Now, I want, to, uh, I want you to look at two or three scriptures with me on this. And uh, we'll just have to sort of uh, say a few things and then keep moving on. Uh, I want you to go over to, to uh, let's see, First um, Corinthians chapter 12. We'll just move through these uh, scriptures reasonably quickly knowing that you have all read the Bible through. 
ten times and know it off by heart. Now I want you to listen to something I'm saying here because with the restoration of the prophetic ministry and the emphasis uh, that's in the States and throughout various parts of the world of the rise of the prophetic ministry and some things that I know are going on uh, with the whole prophetic emphasis and some say pathetic, uh, not prophetic. Uh, some cases the, the, the prophetic is pathetic. Uh, but that can happen to anyone. So listen to verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets. Now I want you to keep that in mind for something I need to say. So because in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Okay, so God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles. Now, if I had been writing the Bible, I think I would have put, God has set some in the church, first, miracles. Then, gifts of healings. How many would like that? At least three of us. But here it says, God has set in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets. Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, gifts of healings, and so forth. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Uh, Greek emphasis there, the Greek endings of those words is no, it's in the negative. Everybody's not an apostle, everybody's not a prophet, everybody's not teachers, everybody's not workers of miracles, everybody doesn't have gifts of healing and so forth. Alright, so apostles and prophets and teachers. Turn over to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 11. Luke 11. And uh, you can put down verse uh, 49. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. Now why didn't he say I'll send them evangelists and shepherds and teachers? I'll send them prophets and apostles. Put down the corresponding scripture in Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and uh, verse 13, I think it is. Let's see. 34, is it? Thank you. Yes. Uh, 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men, and I take wise men here to be apostolic because Paul says I'm a wise master builder, and scribes, so prophets, apostles, and teachers. And some of them you, can, she, you shall kill and crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Go over to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18 and verse 20. And this is on the fall of Babylon. And it says, uh, Revelation 18, verse 20, Rejoice over her, thou heavens, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. So Babylon doesn't like apostles and prophets. And then uh, let's take uh, Ephesians. There's one other scripture here. There's quite a number, but at least uh, to get enough to get the thought across. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 20. Ephesians 2 verse 20. And are built upon the foundation, not of the evangelist and the shepherd and the teacher, but upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, it's amazing how the church through history, and particularly today, most churches, sorry to say, reject prophets and apostles, don't they? We have this. 
We can stand evangelists, and we can stand the shepherds and pastors, the pastoral system, and we can stand teachers if they're not too dry and dull. But apostles and prophets. So a lot of controversy over these foundation ministries, but as Paul says, the church is built upon the foundation of or laid by the apostles and prophets. So how can the church come to full perfection, a full maturity, as he said, he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers without the fivefold ascension gift ministries? It cannot. So we're still in days of restoration. And uh, uh, which comes first, the true or the counterfeit? All right, and then the enemy counterfeits the, the genuine. So you'll always get this counterfeit. So there's a lot of controversy over these two ministries today. Now, I want to say a couple of things and uh, then we'll sort of have to keep moving, I'm afraid. In the, in the Old Testament now, have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Paul say that the Lord has said in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets? Now, I happened to write a... I was asked to write a little booklet on this matter because of the controversy in the States today uh, on this whole area of the prophets and uh, apostolic ministry. So this is what I discovered here, something that I believe will help us here. In the Old Testament, the ministries you have were judges, priests, kings, elders, but the major ministry over all these was the ministry of the prophets. And as we've seen in other classes, prophets were sent to rebuke judges, prophets were sent to deal with priests, prophets, nearly every king had a prophet sent to him, prophets were the major ministry. Prophets governed and controlled and guided people's lives. Prophets moved in word of wisdom, word of knowledge, sometimes in miracles and so forth, dreams and visions and everything. The prophet was the major ministry. Now, when Jesus came in his three and a half years ministry here, Jesus never chose an evangelist or a teacher or a pastor or a prophet. He chose 12 apostles. Now why is he doing this? Because you see the danger today, and this is too vast for me to in any way cover in our session tonight, but the danger today of people seeking to be guided and governed by prophets. Remember a brother talked to me years ago, he said, all my life has been governed by prophets. So he happened to be in Adelaide that time and the prophet here in Melbourne said, thus saith so and so and so, he give up his job, come to Melbourne. So he did. So I said, well, the Bible says as many are led by the prophet, they are the sons of God. No, as many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. So now Jesus is breaking with something of the Old Testament. As I said, it's too vast a thing, but I may say this enough, that, that uh, Jesus never chose a prophet here. He laid down 12 apostles, apostolic ministries, and now in the New Testament... God has said in the church, firstly apostles, secondarily prophets. And you will find this, no New Testament prophet was used to direct, control or govern any person's life. They were used to confirm, but never to control. 
Now, see, this may not mean much to us here in a church, but uh, certain areas in the world, I'll make it very general here, where people's lives are totally controlled by a prophet, the set prophet. Okay? So there's something here that the Lord's changing. So in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Now, we'll just hold that there for now, but just to show that there's a change here. So we have deacons, evangelists, elders, prophets and teachers. Now, in the, in the, the two major distinctions you see between the prophets and teachers, prophets are inspirational, teachers are educational. Just a little bit of alliteration here. So you need the prophetic, the inspirational, you need the didactic, the teaching. So it's balanced. So if you have entirely a teaching church without the inspirational, or if you have entirely an inspirational church without teaching, uh, you get out of balance. So how many appreciate the inspirational ministries here? Inspirational ministries do this. Teachers do this. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? Eh? You know what I mean. So in the church at Antioch, there was prophets and teachers balancing, but both when they were sent forth from the church on the first missionary journey, we'll pick up in our next session, uh, they are referred to as apostles, sent forth in apostolic ministry. In the local church, they were... Uh, prophets and teachers. Now, I want to put on the overhead, particularly for those who are new in the church here, that we've seen just the seeding of the Antioch church here and uh, the call that the Lord's placed on the, on the body here. And so I just want to put on the overhead the 12 points concerning this great church at Antioch and which we took out of the vision. And uh, so those of you who are new in the church i just like to make a note of this, okay? So when we look at the church at Antioch, first of all, it was a biblically founded church. We find that uh, the disciples, when they were scattered abroad, went down to Antioch and preached the word, and it was built on the foundation principles that were laid down in the, in the church of Jerusalem. So it was a church, biblically, a biblically founded church. Number two is a church having a senior leader, and uh, we find as we put those scriptures together, now we've, we've touched on these things in the jigsaw puzzle approach, that Barnabas was a senior leader there at the beginning. Uh, when the church at Jerusalem heard that Antioch had received the word, they sent down to Antioch Barnabas, who saw the grace of God, good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and much people was added to the Lord. And as the Lord built the church at Antioch, then we find that Barnabas was the one that went and sought for Saul knowing his ministry and getting him from Tarsus and so forth. So, but Barnabas was the senior leader, uh, son of consolation there. And then uh, uh, it was always Barnabas and Saul. After they were sent out on the missionary journeys, then it became Paul and Barnabas. But uh, in the local church, uh, it was Barnabas and Saul. So senior leader there. Number three, Antioch was a church having plurality of ministries. You never, and this is quite a shock to people, and we... we, uh, we uh, uh, dealt with this a long time ago there's not one New Testament church that you can find that had a pastor over it find me one there's not one person in the New Testament that is called a pastor find me one and there's not one New Testament church that just had one man as a ministry over it you can't find it 
See, and we've created a pastoral system today that has robbed the church of the rest of the Ascension Gift Ministry. So we have pastor, 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 like a bunch of sausages, all looking so long and so fat and full of mystery. And uh, we've created a whole pastoral system now. I'm not against pastor, you know that. That's shepherds, but it, why? And so uh, pastor has to be the head of the church. Find it in the New Testament. And so we've been robbed of prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists because a pastor has to be the head of the church. And everybody has to have that. And I've had ministries come to me here in, this, in, in, in Australia and say, Kevin, I'm not a pastor, I'm an evangelist. But unless I take a church and I receive the title of pastor, I'm not recognized, I'm not accepted in my ministry. Frustration. So where do we get that whole system from? It becomes a Protestant form of Romanism. Thank you, Brother Connor. That's excellent word you're giving. I really feel good. Okay? So a church having plurality of ministries. Number four, it was a, ch a church that taught and trained disciples. Uh, they were added to the Lord. They were added and, and uh, they disciple many or train them as disciples. Number five, it was a church having a balance of ministries. So the didactical, uh, the educational, the inspirational, the prophetic, the didactic. In other words, just a balance there. Uh, number six, it was a church that ministered to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord as priests, worshipping the Lord, ministered to the Lord. Number seven, it was a church that prayed and fasted. Uh, the Holy Spirit in prayer and fasting. As they ministered to the Lord in prayer and fasting, the Spirit said. Uh, number eight, it was a church which allowed the Holy Spirit to speak. Uh, the Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So now the gospel's gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth from Antioch. That's the key here. All right, number nine. Uh, number eight, a church which allowed the Holy Spirit to speak. Yes, number nine, a church that recognized and received the prophetic word. So how did the Holy Spirit speak? Did the Holy Spirit just speak out of the air like in spiritist churches? Or did he speak through the prophets or the teachers? I would assume he spoke through the prophets or teachers. Number 10, it was a church that uh, uh, believed and practiced the laying of hands. They laid hands on them. Just the doctrine of laying of hands in the Old Testament scriptures confirmed in the New. And number 11, it was a church, and this is interesting, that received the revelation of the tabernacle of David that the Gentiles were to come into the tabernacle of David, not the tabernacle of Moses. And then number 12, it was a church that became a great evangelistic, uh, missionary-minded church. And as we see on the, uh, on the map here, we see the churches that were founded out from Antioch as Paul went on the three missionary journeys, Paul and Barnabas, and the missionary journeys and the churches that were founded out. So uh, what a tremendous church Antioch was, and I believe uh, that's the challenge that the Lord has laid on us here in Waverly Christian Fellowship. Everybody said amen. Well, our time is up. Let's all stand and uh, close in a word of prayer. I hope that uh, in the scattered thoughts that we've shared tonight that you've received some help. Everybody say amen. We see something, a lot of things that are loose a little bit there, but uh, some things to think about. Father, we just uh, come to you now at the close of our gathering together. Thank you, Lord, once again for the privilege of being in your presence and receiving of your word and being fed in the inner man, the uh, spiritual man. Even as we feed the natural man, so we feed the inner man of the heart. Bless your word to your heart, Father, and may all this that we've shared not just be information to the mind, 
but indeed formation of our uh, Christian experience, Christian uh, of our life together. And Lord, the call that you laid upon us as an Antioch church, help us not to let the vision become dim or blurred by the many activities and the many things that you've laid before us. Thank you, Father, for this time together. We pray you'll bless your people as we separate and until we gather again in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.